0: On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are going to talk about, well, the arena because it is an ongoing story right now. The question I have though, we're not going to talk about the arena specifically or the pitch specifically, it's this. We keep hearing that this is all going to be part of a big downtown precinct that is going to lead to millions of dollars in private sector spinoff money, but we've done lots of public jobs, public projects, public stuff before. Where is all the private sector spinoff money we keep hearing about? Why should we believe this one will bring more? We'll talk about that one. Also, uh, a doctor, a scientist south of the border, down in California, you're not going to believe this. It sounds crazy, but it is true. During a study, during an experiment, during a drug test on some people, says he has discovered, says he's stumbled into something that will make you get younger. It will actually turn your body clock Backwards. Well, he'll explain it here on the show. And then Don Robertson joins us. We're going to be talking about Bianca Andrescu, all kinds of things about that, including whether or not she should have got the same amount of money for doing, for playing two sets as Rafael Nadal did for playing five sets in five hours on the men's side. Hmm. Stick around.
1: Today on The Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML.
0: By now, it's only been a week or a week and a half, but by now you have probably been bombarded with discussions and talk and information about the city's possible new arena situation. If you don't know anything about what we're talking about, mm, I don't know how that's possible. It's been everywhere. But anyway, the, the arena talk largely, the idea of building a new arena and a convention center and that kind of thing together downtown largely centers around the spin off benefits from a downtown precinct. That's the idea behind this. We're going to put all this stuff together. We're going to have this precinct, and it's going to lead to all kinds of private money and private investment flowing in. Build an arena, build a convention center, and private invest- investment will follow. Just it, That's how it works. And it's a philosophy, and it's an economic theory that does hold water in a lot of places. If you put the public money into some of these things and you create enough oomph, there will be private money that pours in. But what about here? We've had an arena in the downtown. In the same area where they're talking about putting a new arena, we've had an arena there for close to 40 years. You can't argue that there's much spin-off as a result of this. You just can't. We've had a convention center and a concert hall downtown for decades. You can't argue there's been much spin-off from that. We've had a new stadium. We've just built it. And we heard when the stadium was being built that there was going to be all kinds of private sector spin-off in the stadium precinct. Remember that word? It's a key word because it's the same word we're using now. Precinct. Zero around the stadium as far as spinoff. Uh, the Lister Block, the Bernie Morelli Center, that's brand new, so maybe we give that some time. The Federal Building across from First Ontario Center, the Waterfront, the Health Healthcare Center, all were supposed to lead to spinoffs around them. Private sector money was supposed to flow in to be near these big projects, Strikeout on every single one, it seems. So where is the private sector response, and why is it not happening here? Larry Deany is a former mayor of the city of Hamilton. Uh, he joins the show now. Larry, thanks for doing this today.
2: Hey, Scott. It's always a pleasure.
0: I, I'm not arguing with the theory behind this, because I think it's solid theory in most places that if you invest in these precincts or you put money into these places where people will come there will be private sector money that will follow, usually. I just see a little, little evidence that it's happened in Hamilton. Why?
2: Well, I, I'm going to, Scott, very respectfully um, challenge your premise okay. that we've not seen those results. In fact, I, I would make the case that, that uh, indeed we have seen some significant results, And uh, I would also say that you've probably, in the list of infrastructure expenditures that we've made as a city, you've missed the biggest one. Which is? Which is the Red Hill Expressway. We poured in a lot of municipal money into that. And all you have to do is look at the development that's occurred, both in terms of residential development, but also commercial development up at the top of the hill, to know that it's just a booming place up there. As a result of that investment that we made. I,
0: I will just to stop you for a second, I will give you that one absolutely. I agree with you wholeheartedly on that particular one.
2: Okay. But then let but me But that's take
0: different it. from a stadium downtown or an arena downtown or something that is supposed to be a people gatherer.
2: So, so let, me, let me again very respectfully because, you know, I Please. Mean, you are a, uh, a, a very um, wise and, um, and knowledgeable Well, I'll um, take it,
0: but we'll uh, see. Indivi- no,
2: no, but you are. <laughs> you know, I read your, your columns, they're always thoughtful. Even your not-so-serious uh, commentary that you write about, I mean, there are always things that are thought-provoking. However, let me just point out a few things in terms of the downtown and the arena downtown. Downtown and the expenditures that we've made and and the results that they've had. So in terms of full disclosure, let me tell you that I have um, for the last uh, couple of years. I don't do it right now, but for the last year or so, um, I've acted uh, on behalf of Global Spectrum, which is the uh, management company, the international American-based management company that was allocated uh, the right to manage Cops Coliseum now First Ontario Place. Hamilton Place now First Ontario Concert Hall and in fact now they're doing the stadium as well. So I've worked uh, for them in terms of some things that they were needing to do. Uh and so I learned more about the results of having those infrastructure uh, assets in our downtown than I thought I knew when I was even mayor of the city because I've been able to see the kinds of draws that those assets have had to our downtown core. And so, you know, we're talking hundreds of uh, thousands of people that come to 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 the programs, whether they be, you know, the country music uh, hall programs, the uh, the uh, the uh, uh, Korean uh, young band that we had uh, uh last year. Uh, and, and others, uh, Billy Joel in the past, uh, Paul McCartney has been there. They draw hundreds of thousands of people accumulated over the, uh, over the life of, of uh, the, those programs that, that, are, that are carried on. And, and let me tell you that if you go downtown, there's a resurgence right now of restaurants, of residential uh, developments that are both on the books and are being built, of student housing, uh, McMaster has finally put in the uh a uh, part of their campus in the downtown. Uh Hamilton Health Sciences has relocated there away from where they were in the hospital. Those are all uh, investments that are being made to make the downtown core healthier and uh, and we've never seen that. I mean, the programs that we put in place 15 years ago are finally bearing fruit so if you're saying to me look we haven't seen some new additional extra building being built uh that's separate and apart from uh the enhancement of the restaurant scene and so on i may agree with you but if you collectively take everything that's happening downtown you can't argue that there's a healthy sort of development there that was not there 15 years ago
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: We are chatting with former mayor Larry DeAnne about public buildings that are being built downtown or public projects through the city of Hamilton that often have been that have come with the promise of private sector spinoffs, that this is going to lead to all kinds of private sector money flowing in. And I've, I'm taking the position, which Larry disagrees with, but I'm taking the position that we haven't seen much of that. And Larry, I, like again, I, I respect your position. First of all, two things. You're absolutely right, again, that's twice you've been absolutely right so far, and we've only been on for a few minutes, um, about the numbers of people who come downtown to First Ontario Centre, to the concert hall, that kind of thing. But many of those people drive in and drive right out. So it's not leading and maybe that's part of the part of the challenge with the downtown in Hamilton is that it's not leading to the kind of growth or massive growth in businesses around it that people would stick around then after a after a concert or something to to invest in downtown. Maybe that's part of the problem.
2: Well, I, you know, I I don't know whether that's accurate though. I mean, I know that that's the uh, the popular wisdom that I used to complain about when I was involved politically as well, that people come in and they leave and they they don't spend any money. Uh, the the fact of the matter though is if you go and simply look at the restaurant scene downtown. I mean, people are coming uh from all over to 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 come to our restaurants. There was an article in your newspaper just this morning. Um, seeing the praises of some of the establishments that are downtown that are being advertised on WestJet of all uh, airlines uh, saying you know you gotta try out and they name names uh, of restaurants that mostly are in the downtown area so <clears throat> that's an indication of, of both uh, the fact that something they're doing something right to attract the customers and keep them but also that there's a that there's a buzz about the downtown that's exciting and and then you look at uh, you know the the Leuna, uh, development uh, that's going on right now across from Restaurant Row, which is King William. That's what it's become. Which is you know the old Kresge's, the major condo development there and retail development. Look at the student housing that's happened there. Look at the fact that McMaster University, that I when I was involved, try to get them downtown and they said to me, we're not coming until people feel welcome downtown and 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 that there's excitement and things to do downtown and now they're there uh as well as other other developments that are on the books and uh, um and and have been uh, you know if you look at, at James Street have been built you know the acclamation condos have been built and all of the restaurants i mean i i defy you to try to find the, to simply walk into any restaurant in the downtown Hamilton on a Saturday night or a Friday night or even a Thursday night without a reservation, and try to find a seat. You cannot do it. You've got to book at least a week in advance, maybe maybe even more. So there's a buzz and a health, um, a healthy aspect to, to downtown living right now, and more and more people are intending to live there as well. So all of that is spurred by the public investment in the downtown. Now, <clears throat> having said that, I'm not for a second suggesting that if you build elsewhere, and I know you know we started, at least you introduced the topic by talking about the arena development, and and some people would like to see it at Lime Ridge Mall, and then of course council is probably going to agree that they need to look at the downtown precinct in order to build a uh, a new uh, uh, arena if indeed they're going to do that. And I'm not for a second suggesting that if you build something elsewhere, it's money that's wasted or it's going to take away from from whatever is uh, good things are may be happening downtown. I think when you're city building, every part of the city deserves investment, public investment to then spur uh, private investment as well. And I started this discussion by telling you that, you know, we shouldn't neglect what the Red Hill Expressway has done for upper stony creek mountain in terms of uh, both the uh, recreational uh, restaurants and uh, bar scene that's up there that's really developed into something that would rival any other rival any other part of the city but also the commercial aspect that's bringing in tens of millions of dollars to city coffers so that other programs can be funded as well so i'm not gonna argue that there's only one place that you can do good things you can do good things in multiple areas but what I'm arguing is that the investments that have already already been made and the assets uh, and not just the current investments but the investments made in past years have borne fruit, and we're seeing real examples.
0: Of let that. me th- we only have thirty seconds unfortunately, yeah. but let me just throw one more thing at you and maybe it's just splitting the the atom here. but when you mention about McMaster coming down and bringing student housing in McMaster Hospital having branch offices here now, M- McMaster is a public university, so again, it's public segment is public sector money that's following public sector money as opposed to private sector money
2: but but that's the issue though right because public the public sector has to lead and you know uh, uh, investors private investors are risk-averse right and unless they see that there's confidence by the public side uh, they're not going to invest the private money and so you know there's a lag there's a there's a there's a time lag as to when the private money comes in. But we've seen lots of examples uh, of that as well. We're going to continue seeing more.
0: Larry Deany, former mayor, always appreciate having you on. Thanks for your time today.
1: Thank you, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: There are, give or take, about 2 million studies going on at any one time. Uh, many of these are in either incredibly specific Some of them are ridiculously silly, uh, and many of them are not applicable in some way to our lives to be of real interest. But I would argue, I'd make the case that there would be one study that everybody wants. There's one study I'm sure that everybody would like to know the result of, and that is, is there a way to either stop the... Advancement or time, or maybe even turn back the years. I'm not talking about a time machine, though that would be very, very cool if we could figure that one out, but a way to stop the onset of aging. It's something that none of us, especially you get to a certain age, none of us are terribly excited about. Can we stop it? Maybe even feel younger. Well, here's the thing there is a study that has said or has stumbled upon something like this. A study in California that I understand was designed to investigate something altogether different. Has seemingly stumbled onto a drug cocktail or some drug connection or combination that can make you go all Benjamin Button and maybe even go backwards in years, not maybe in the way they showed in the movie, but your cells or your body can almost reverse in age. It sounds fantastical. It sounds too good to be true. Uh, The lead author is Dr. Greg Fay. He joins me now. Uh, He is the vice president and chief scientific officer of 21st century medicine. He has a 30 years of experience in cryobiology and is a world expert in organ cryopreservation by vitrification. The rest of his resume is so long and so amazing, and I will not go into all of it because it would take up all of our time, but he does join me now. Dr. Fay, thanks for doing this today.
3: Hi, I'm
0: very happy to talk to you. So I want to walk through this because I read this story and as I said in the intro just there, it sounds too fantastical, too amazing to really, at first I read it and I thought, okay, this is, it's April Fool's, right? It's April 1st. It can't be true. You were giving volunteers a drug cocktail in hopes of regenerating the thymus gland. Am I correct? Correct. And what happened?
3: Yeah, well, we regenerated their thymus gland, and we reversed immune system aging, but we discovered that we did a few other things, too. We seem to have reversed the biological clock, at least as it could be measured by something called the epigenetic clock, which is a genetic technique that can take something very complicated and make it very simple, such as expressing your biological age uh, in a, in the form of a number, essentially. Uh, And we found that uh, your biological age was much less after a year of treatment than it was at the beginning of treatment.
0: So the epigenetic clock, and I'm sure most people who are listening right now have never heard this before, is there something in our DNA that if you were to take a blood sample of mine or yours or someone else's, that you could look at the DNA or the cells and tell me how old I am based on that?
3: Yes, that's correct. Actually the test allows us to tell you how old you are biologically, which is even better than how old you are chronologically. But it can identify your chronological age to within a couple of years.
0: And so, okay, this is fascinating. And is it, is this an accurate test? I mean, there are some tests that we sort of guess at. Is this a really accurate test?
3: Yeah, it's accurate enough to have been used in forensic science uh, to disprove, uh, you know, guilt or innocence based on claims of aging that were uh, erroneous. Uh, when they didn't know the uh, age of the perpetrator, they were able to determine the age of the perpetrator by the, genet- the epigenetic clock and convict them.
0: Uh, it's a fascinating thing because, again, I've never heard of this. We've heard of so many other things from DNA, your fingerprint and everything else. I never knew this existed. Now, so, okay, so you have this epigenetic aging or this, this clock that is in all of our DNA. We can't Actually, get younger, I don't believe. That would be impossible, I would think. So, what then happened here? What was it that went younger or went backwards or got more youthful?
3: Right. So, the real question is maybe we can get younger. Maybe okay. aging does not have to be a one way street. Maybe it's much more interesting than we ever thought it was. According to the epigenetic clock, our guys actually were. About a year and a half younger at the end of the trial than they were when they began the trial, which means that, given the fact that they uh, had experienced uh, one year of chronological age, they were two and a half years younger at the end of the trial than they would have been with no treatment.
0: I mean, it's did they look? They don't look any different. They just their their body clock says that they're younger.
3: Yes, that's correct. Uh, you wouldn't be able to tell by looking at them, except in one case, which. We had a result that we were not expecting, and we didn't prepare for it, and we didn't take any pictures, but one of the guys in the study uh, had his wife uh, remark to him that she thought his hair was growing in dark again. And so uh, he supplied some photographs for us before and after the trial, and uh, actually his hair was clearly growing in darker again by the end of the trial.
0: So this is not—well, first of all, did did the subjects— indicate they felt any different did they feel better did they feel younger
3: uh they tended to feel younger at the beginning of the trial the feeling didn't necessarily continue indefinitely but uh but they did feel mentally sharper they felt uh almost a sense of euphoria in one case Uh, one guy uh felt that his ability to appreciate music had deepened and things like that but i think the body adjusts because when you're young you don't think about being young you just are and uh I think we, we all kind of adjust to, to the ages that we are. But uh, biologically, uh, they did seem to be younger based on a variety of different test uh, outcomes that, that we performed.
0: So these are, and again, not to be repeating the same thing over, but it's kind of a stunning result. These are objective, identifiable, proven number changes, not just anecdotal things. This, this is someone who literally has gotten younger.
3: Well, that's what we think. I mean... I think the epigenetic clock doesn't measure everything, so it may be that if you have uh, a calcium deposit someplace, that doesn't go away, you know. Uh, But uh, your fundamental biology, the actual age of your cells, did seem to go back based on the measurements we were able to perform.
1: You're listening to The Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: We're talking about what may be one of the most interesting and, if it's, if it turns out to be what is being talked about, one of the most remarkable experiments, tests, results, studies, but we're talking with the lead author and the, the basically be, the story behind this is a, a study was done to try and re revitalize people's thalamus, thy, thymus gland, pardon me. And it did something way bigger than that, which was it turned back their uh, epigenetic clock, which is basically made them younger. Dr. Greg Fay is the lead author behind this. And, uh, Doctor, so is this, th- theoretically, would this then potentially, and I know it's brand new, so we don't really know, but theoretically could this work like turning back the hands of a clock if you were to take this drugs, these drugs, or is it like turning back the numbers on an odometer in a car where it changes the number but it doesn't really have any kind of real impact?
3: Oh, well, I think it's much more likely to be in the former category uh, it's not just sort of uh, shuffling some numbers around. These uh, clocks actually do measure biological reality as far as we can understand. I think we're in a new territory, though, because there has never been a study which uh, actually showed reversal of epigenetic aging. There have been studies showing linkage between epigenetic aging and things like smoking or diet or other habits that, that may influence your likelihood of being healthy or of or dying. Uh, but to actually reverse it is sort of new territory. And so we'll have to explore over time what that means in terms of actual restoration of, of function. But we actually did see things improve, like, as I mentioned, the hair grew in dark in one case, and we saw improvements in kidney function. We also improve, saw improvements in uh, blood cell populations that seemed to be indicative of protection against most of the killer diseases of aging. Wow. Wow. So it, it may be that we're onto something really significant here.
0: Does this does the epigenetic clock affect all parts of the body? Because you were going after the thymus gland, and it did some things, but would in this particular case, would this affect all parts of your body to get younger, or would only certain organs and certain parts of your body be getting younger while the rest was still getting older?
3: So we actually looked at four different epigenetic clocks, and each one measures different things, uh, but... The two most uh, accurate clocks gave the most interesting results, and the first clock is the original Horvath clock developed by Steve Horvath at UCLA. It's called the DNA methyl age, and the DNA methyl age correlates uh, the same clock works not only in blood, which was what we actually measured, but also in brain, in liver, in every kind of tissue you can think of almost – uh, and so we think that that's a very general measure of aging throughout the whole body, even though we only did it on blood. The second uh, interesting clock uh, was the Grim Age clock. That was specifically tailored to be able to predict your life expectancy. And the Grim Age clock got younger by about two years, a little over two years, and stayed younger even after the end of the trial. And so the default uh, interpretation of that is that we should have uh, extended the uh, life expectancy of our uh, volunteers by about two years, and that advantage did not wear off after we stopped treatment. However, of course, we haven't followed them to the end of their lifespan and verified that they died two years later than they were supposed to have, right? So it's all uh, brand new stuff right now. We don't really know exactly, but at least based on what we do know, uh, that is the prediction that you would make.
0: Can you you mentioned about someone's hair growing back darker who had been gray? could you theoretically undo disease that somebody has if someone has recently been diagnosed with cancer? could you do this and potentially take their cells back to before that cancer had arrived?
3: Well, cancer is kind of a different story because um, what our treatment is about is regrowing the thymus uh, and that requires cells to divide and You don't want to inspire cells to divide if you already get cancer because that may make the cancer grow faster. So uh, it may actually be, though, that we can prevent you from getting cancer in the first place. So there were three independent measures that we included in our study, all of which indicated protection against uh, the possibility of getting cancer in the future. So we're hoping to sort of attack it that way. Uh, There are many other interesting possible ramifications for health. Uh, We were contacted recently by someone who's a specialist in leukemia, and he discovered that uh, uh, some of the changes that we had seen in our study uh, may protect you against uh, getting leukemia in older age. So there may be many other interesting connections to to, uh, aging uh, and disease and, and even cancer. Well,
0: I'm sure you've thought about this already, but the the, the impact, the, the things that could be affected by this if it turns out to be repeatable and true is is, is incredible, is massive.
3: Yeah, it's almost hard to take in because uh, most people uh, develop most diseases as a result of getting older. And if we can even slow that down a little bit, we'd be way ahead of the game. But what we're seeming to see is that we can actually reverse the process. And what we do not know is what the limits of that are. We know that the effect got stronger as the treatment duration increased. So within the first nine months, we were regressing aging at about the rate of a month and a half per month of treatment. But in the last three months of treatment, We were regressing age at the at the rate of six and a half months per month of treatment, or in other words, um, by at the rate of uh, like six and a half years per year of treatment. So, uh, although we only measured aging regression of a few years in this study. Well, we're just going to have to see if we can go even farther than that I, in the future. I
0: was just going to say, and I'm out of time, sadly, but very quickly, got 10 seconds. Does that mean that theoretically, if you had a 50-year-old or a 60-year-old who started to take this and took it consistently, it would continue to go back in time? Now, I'm not talking about being ridiculous here, but that they would, that it would continue to move them back, their epigenetic clock back further and further and further, or do you think there's a finite point?
2: Well,
3: uh you know, I think that's a really interesting question. Presumably, you would go back to some earlier age, and then the effect would tend to level out. And I don't know what age that would be, but it'd certainly be less than where you started. So, uh, Fascinating. You know, we'll just have to find out. We'll just have to find out.
0: Uh, you can read about it online. It's a fascinating, fascinating study. Uh, Dr. Greg Fay, really appreciate you taking some time today. Thanks for doing this.
3: You betcha. Take
0: care. Uh, go look it up. Uh, Greg Fade, F-A-H-Y is how you spell his name. One of the more interesting things that you can go backwards in time maybe.
3: You're listening
1: to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Don Robertson is in studio. Uh, thanks for coming in today. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's nice out. sunny. Well, do you watch any tennis on the weekend?
4: I, um, as I never do. Watched the U.S. Women's final. My mother was a great tennis fan. She absolutely loved it. Watched hours of it,
0: and I watched pretty much the whole thing and was astonished. And I would argue that you are pro- your answer right there, including the lead into it, is probably the same answer that I think the number of Canadians, including Quebec, the TV numbers are out today. It was like 3.5 million people watched part of it, and I bet you 3.4 million people would not count themselves as regular tennis fans. Well, I am
4: such an expert. We went over to our neighbors who have a television on their deck. Just as I got finished work, I showed up at 4 o'clock or 4.10, I guess it was. And don't think it's unfair to suggest I was the only one that knew you had to get to six and win by two. But everybody was watching. Well. Then I had to explain that, so... Then when you win 7-5,
0: right, if you're 6-5, you don't win. So but after the next break, because I had meant to do this and I forgot. After the next break we take, I am going to have looked up and explained the, the tennis scoring system because I always played tennis as a kid, played a ton of tennis as a kid. And you just learned the scoring, 15-30-40 game. And if you were tied, it was 40-all, it was deuce, and then it was add-in or add-out. Now they call it advantage to the person who, if it was, if you're serving, it's add in, if you're not serving, it's add out. But I never understood or thought of why such weird scoring, like I would understand. And so my my daughter's watching with me. She's not watched much tennis before and she's trying to figure out why is it, okay, is it 15, 30, why not 45? That would make more sense because if it's a clock and that's apparently where this thing came from originally. Okay, I was going was to say, somehow, why, why
4: wouldn't it be one, two, three, four?
0: Fair enough. But it was somehow on the hands of a clock, had something to do with it. I'm going to look it up so we can explain it at the bottom of the hour. But why would it not be 45 then? And why deuce? What does deuce mean? Well, we'll explain all this stuff. We'll explain all this stuff at the bottom of the hour, I promise. I can hear, um, the, I can hear the clicks now. Well, I don't know. We'll see. Everybody'll wanna know because everybody wants to be a little more educated about it. It's a weird system. There's no question it's a weird system. And in so many other sports where you modernize things to try and excuse me. Just be more up to this is antiquated for sure, but so you had a whole lot of people point is my long drawn out thing, you have a whole lot of people who are tuning into this going, Yeah, okay, she's winning, but what? What well, everybody knew when you're up 5 and five, it's 5-5, five, five. that's not good. That was not good. But I, I, was, I was talking today to someone, to, to Scott Thompson, and I said, that was to me the most impressive thing about Bianca Andreescu. That's who we're talking about, by the way, in case you're just joining us. Um, that arena where they play in Flushing, New York, is an intimidating place. It is a big arena.
2: And What's it hold?
0: 20,000-plus. I would say at and least. And they yeah. are right on top of you. And when well, they're cheering for the other person in New York, where they tend to be a little blunt, um, you know they're cheering for the other person. And that was the most impressive thing, that she held off the crowd even more than Serena Williams. The uh, the most Canadiana moment of her winning yes, in the
4: interview is saying, you know, I know most of you people here, she was talking to the attending audi- audience, were cheering for Serena. And I'm sorry, right? I wouldn't have said sorry. How Canadian can you be? So I just won the US championship and I know all you folks out there really wanted her to win and I'm sorry.
0: So wait a second, I was told that (laughs) back in the 2010 Olympics when uh, Montgomery won the skeleton and then walked through Whistler and grabbed a pitcher of beer from someone that that was the most Canadian thing an athlete could do. So which is the most Canadian thing, apologizing or swilling a pitcher of beer after you win? Well, uh,
4: uh, apologizing while having the picture of beer would be <laughs> yeah. what I would I'm choose. I'm sorry for
0: stealing your pitcher of beer. <laughs> yeah. Let me say this, and it, this was a great, I mean, we don't talk about women's tennis all that We don't talk about tennis, men's or women's tennis too often, because frankly, there aren't that many people in the country who are diehard tennis fans. This was a fantastic moment. This was a terrific event. This was... Wonderful that so many Canadians were tuned into the same thing. I The only part about this that I hated, Don, is that sports at its best, when you have all these people who are all rooting for the same thing and pulling the same direction at the same time, is beautiful. It's wonderful that this many Canadians were all wanting the same thing at the same time. It drives me nuts that people immediately have to try and turn this into something political. Which immediately happened, whether it was... You know, there were memes that went out on social media almost right away saying Bianca Andrescu's parents came here as immigrants. This should solve the immigrant. This should settle the immigrant debate once and for all in this country. Bring all the immigrants. And it's like, wait, no, it doesn't mean that. And why do we have to bring a political argument into this thing? Let's enjoy the moment for what it is as opposed to trying to turn it into something that becomes divisive, which is what immediately happens when you start bringing politics into it.
4: Well let me let me suggest this that there are as many new tennis fans in Canada as there are Raptor fans. Yes, New Raptor fans. Yes, it's on a similar similar parallel. I chatted with uh, Dave Beeler in the office early. I work with Dave, and his son had brought his kids down, his young kids to watch the event. and I akin it to and good for him to bring kids down because this could be an historic thing and be fun for you guys to say that you were watching it. Um, And I would suggest to you that one of the things that would parallel that would be parents that had their kids sit down and watch Game 8, if you were alive, of the 72 Summit Series saying, win or lose, this is going to be very historic. Even if you're not a big hockey fan, you should enjoy this. If we win it, great. But people are going to talk about it for years, especially if we win it. And it was probably a very similar event, whether it's sim- similar to the Raptors winning it or Sid's goal, overtime goal in Vancouver. Or, you know, a um, few other things I think would parallel the magnitude sports-wise of this. I mean, the Argos winning a Grey Cup certainly doesn't stack up in the same area, nor or the Ticats. Um, maybe the Blue Jays winning uh, one of their World
0: Series, but it was pretty monumental. It was very cool. It was, uh, it was, it was very good. I, I say, I just, I, I, hate it when it has to turn into something that becomes a fight, and that's what some people, you know, I, we live. I guess we live in a time when everything must be a fight, when there must be. See, but it
4: wouldn't, it wouldn't be a fight if there wasn't social media. That's true. Because the time, by the time some opinionated human being got their opinion out, they couldn't get it out far enough. I mean, I'm old enough to remember opinions were read in the newspaper, in your newspaper or any other newspaper, because columnists do that. Or you could tune into CHTV TV when Dick Betts was yep. on or CTV when Pat Marsden yep. was on and they would give you their editorialized opinion. Now, every. Whomever. Freak in the nation who can get their hands on a, a, a
0: tablet is a professional. Well, think about, think about, you mentioned the 72 series. Uh, I talked years ago to Paul Henderson, uh, not Paul Henderson, to, um, Pat Stapleton. No, no, no. To, uh, Peter Mahovlich. And the story that he told was that he was on the ice in game 8 and Henderson he taps on the boards off. and called him off. Yeah. And Henderson just says he felt like he needed to be on the ice and it turned out well. If social media had been around there would have been people screaming that Paul Henderson stole the glory and Peter Mahovlich should have scored that goal and all. You just know like it's just it's the way we do things. You can't just take the moment and enjoy it. Yeah. And and almost worse to me, almost worse to me maybe not as, I don't know, were the people who, some of them who I respect as writers and opinion writers and journalists and all the rest, who with their unbelievable recency bias, I think most people understand what that is, that you give more weight to things that just happen because it's fresher in your mind, start making declarations that this was the greatest moment in the history of Canadian sports, bar none. It's like, Okay, really? I mean, like it was a great moment, but you can't compare it to the Paul Henderson goal in that series because the situation around it, the context, the circumstances, the cold War, cold War yeah. there was all kind of other things that were going on you, you, you didn't have in this particular case now I know it was on a weekend, but you didn't have every classroom roll a TV in yeah. to watch Bianca and dress you great as it was because it it didn't have the same meaning. I'm not sure that, Look, I, I don't think there's going to be 2 million people in the streets like there was for the Raptors parade. If they had a Bianca Andreescu championship parade, would there be 2 million people in the streets? That's not to diminish what she's done. It's the point of, I don't know that you can say this is the greatest sporting event. And I don't know that we need to. You know what You know what I think it is?
4: And it's funny. I was um, talking to, to a, well, I was talking to Jim Ralpher golf tournament on Thursday, and um, he does Bobby Orr's tournament. And I looked at him, we were waiting on a tee, and I said, so Bobby Orr is arguably the best hockey player that ever lived. One of the two. And I says, and Wayne Gretzky. And his answer was perfect. He looked at me and says, why does it matter? And And the truth is, it doesn't matter. There w- it doesn't matter if Bianca's uh, thing was the greatest sporting event in Canadian history or the eighty or the 72 um, Summit Series was or the Raptors' victory was. It doesn't matter. You, we don't have to measure everything against something else. Why don't you, back to your point, just enjoy it. It was fabulous to watch. She's a 19-year-old kid to me. She's a kid. Yep. She's not 20 years old. Right? There's lots of. Kids going to Mohawk College that are 19 and they're in their first or second year of school. It's a tremendous accomplishment. There are people that seize the opportunity to say, well, Serena admitted it was her worst um, match of the tournament. Well, I would argue that Bianca is so good at what she does, she made her look bad. She made her feel like she couldn't play well because she was outgunned.
0: I that was the one element of the tournament. Uh, you know, Serena Williams said some okay things, but I—that to me was absolutely classless of Serena Williams. Absolutely classless. Here's a woman who's 37 years old, who is one of the greatest players of all time, who has had endless moments of glory, and you've got a 19-year-old who is having her moment in the spotlight, and Serena Williams can't just bring herself to say, you know what? She was the better player today. She beat me all over the court. She beat me in straight sets. She was by far the best player on the court. She had to turn it about her and say, I, I had my worst match. In other words, this wasn't really about Bianca Andreescu winning. This was about me giving it away. I I would have loved for a reporter in there. And, and you know, it doesn't often happen, especially because you don't want to take a shot at someone when they're down They're, they're a legends bit. too. She's a legend. I would have loved for someone to say, are you, do you really believe that this was all about you? That there was no one else on the court? Like someone's got to call her on this because she's done it before too. She did it in some last tournament where the woman, remember there was a woman who was crying because Serena Williams lost it at the umpire and, and the woman who won the Grand Slam event ended up having all the spotlight taken off her. It, to me it's, you know, she's a fantastic player But lately in her later years, it seems when, and later years, I mean, she's 37, but in her later years as an athlete, when others are beginning to take the spotlight off her, she seems incapable of dealing with that. Here's
4: two things I take away from it. I spoke earlier about um, the Canadiana of apologizing to the people that are there. Mm -hmm. That's a Canadian, that's a proud Canadian. You know, we all kind of giggle about it. You know what? You just kicked her butt, so. Take it for what it is. No. She says, no, I apologize to everybody that was cheering for her. That's a Canadian. The American way is she only won because I had a bad day. Yep. And when you see that in athletes that can't do what they did yesterday or, and I'm talking, um, you know, like five years ago, it's uh, Tiger Woods every once in a while wins again now. He's still capable of winning. Um Serena, in all probability, because she hasn't bumped into your guest you had on the last hour, figured out how to... She can't beat age. She can't beat time. And she's had four or five opportunities now to tie the number of Grand Slam victories. And she hasn't done it.
0: She's lost every set in those four final matches.
4: So She got beat two... Two straight strats. Give credit where
0: it's due. All last four times. It's been 2-0 But she's she's
4: fighting time. Yep. And there's nothing you can do about it. But you can be gracious. I can tell you you can't fight time. But you can be gracious. That's the one thing she can... But that's the American way. She's trying to hang on. She's trying to hang on to her sponsorship shouldn't need uh, any money but
0: but how is how is hang on to your sponsor being gracious affecting that I, I read the thing the other day and I where did I, someone will know where I saw this because it's a it's a sports some team or some coach said this and I can't remember who said it but the one thing you can control is your effort and that's been used a lot but there's a there's a coach or there's a there was a famous coach who used it or anyway I think it may have been belichick I don't know so, but you, the one thing you can control is your effort the other thing you can control Don is your class whether you win or whether you lose that is something that is fully in your control and I found Bianca Andrescu to be very classy in winning now maybe some people would say as you know there was one person who say she, one writer was saying she was bordering on cocky I didn't see that that's not what I got I, I saw a, an American writer, or yeah, Canadian writer? No, an American writer who was saying during the match she was bordering on cocky for her yelling and stuff and I'm like she's the one person there's like seven people in that stadium cheering for her and 19,993 cheering for Serena. You do what you can to get yourself pumped up and deal with the moment. I didn't see cockiness in that match. But the fact was, I didn't see her being ungracious in victory. I thought her, I thought she from your point she was very gracious in victory. I thought Serena Williams was lacked grace, lacked decorum, lacked all the things that you want from guy, a legend. The guy that wrote that's an idiot.
4: I mean, it was I was dumbfounded and proud of her. I, I have no idea where the hell you come up with a ladder after you win to climb well, because up. that's
0: become a new thing. That started in Wimbledon. I think it was, I can't remember who it was who did it oh, first it in did? Wimbledon. And where the first guy, I can't remember who it was, climbed up to visit with his family, and that he just was, scaled the wall. And so now they've started to, it's the thing now that you do, but...
4: See, Serena wouldn't have done that because she's won so many times she doesn't need to do it. But that's pretty classy. Go get your... You know,
0: give your coach a hug.
4: I mean, how much time have they spent together getting ready for this moment? But I
0: go back to the point. Let's say you had won 20 Allen Cups with the Dundas Real McCoys, and now you lose one. Whether or not you had a bad game and lost that championship, I would like to believe that Don Robertson would turn to the coach or the general manager of the team that beat him and say, great game, well done, congratulations, not, man, you only beat us today because we sucked,
4: no. You, would, you, you know, the, the proper response is, Scott, you look at them and say, today you were the better team, congratulations. And what's
0: what's wrong with saying that? Then you go in and you have a beer and say, are you kidding me? Okay, but you say it to yourself or to that's your right. group of people around you. You don't...
4: You, you analyze it afterwards, but... If, if you somebody, don't steal if, the
0: thunder from the people who right. just beat Congratulate you. Congratulate them, they're Canadian champions. And here's the thing. My wife said, and she, she had heard this from somewhere, the quote was that Serena Williams gave was, I love Bianca but this was the worst match I played and my wife was saying, she had heard somewhere someone say something and it's true. She goes, whenever you hear someone say but, but? it means ignore everything I said up to this point. It's just filling air. Okay. She, so take that away and she goes, this was just my worst match of the tournament. That's what she was really saying and you've got these rapt American reporters and columnists and TV people who are looking for, why did Serena lose again? And it's not, Bianca was great. And I couldn't deal with her power today. She was hitting the lines and all these things. Yep. It was I lost, not she won. I, I'm sorry. It, when you talk about sponsors, if I'm a sponsor, I'm probably not going to do it because she's got lots of power. But I might go and say, next time, can you suck it up a bit? Just be classy about this.
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: We're talking about tennis. We've been talking about tennis for the first half of the show, probably talking about it for a bunch of the rest, but we are talking about all the people confused about the scoring system in tennis. Why is it 15, 30, 40 game? What is deuce? All the rest of the stuff. I've looked it up. Here is the best explanation I can find for the scoring system. We start with love. Love is closest to the French for luf, which is egg. So zero. So there's how you get love because tennis was a French game initially. The scoring is all based on French. Deuce, which is tied. Deuce sounds like two plural of deux, which became you need two points to win. So "deuce," as in you need two to get there. So there's why deuce and there's why love. So the, nonetheless, now we get to the complicated part about the 15, 30, 40. <laughs> the story says, and this is, uh, where did this come from? mentalfloss.com. I've read a bunch of them in the break. Let me just read the quote. In the, well, the Europeans were preoccupied with astronomy and circles. I don't know why they were preoccupied with astronomy. Anyway, a circle is 360 degrees, and so each game, you have to win six, each game is 60 degrees, and if you add up the six then, you get to 360, so you finish a circle with a with a, with a set. you understand what I'm saying? I do, yeah. And so 15, 30, 40, although it still doesn't explain why it wouldn't be 15, 30, 45. But that's the best I can do for you in short order. Well, if a Canadian did it, it would have been one, two, three, four, five, six. I I expect so. I expect so. So a couple more things about this that I want to ask you about. Um, and, and we did go back to saying, you know, like the people who have been, and this is the difficult part, with the people who have been arguing this is the greatest Canadian sporting event of all time which I think is a fool's game to try and dive into because for you, Donovan Bailey may have been number one, Mike Weir winning the Masters may have been, and I'm talking about individual ones.
4: Gretzky or it doesn't matter. Well, anyway. that's
0: a team, yeah, it's, it doesn't really matter. But the, the, but the individual ones, people I say, people have been saying, no, Donovan Bailey was better, Mike Weir was better, you get into this fight. But I'll say this, there is a reason why you don't do this. And that is simple because in Canada, Every time you do this, you end up forgetting the person who is number one on that list. And I don't think when you think about it, I don't think anybody would ever argue with it. And that is Terry Fox. How, you, how anyone could argue that what Terry Fox did is not the greatest sporting, individual sporting achievement, running a marathon every day. And so you just end up in these fights about stupid stuff. And after that, it's like, who cares? Who cares? If you think that Bianca Andreescu is the greatest sporting event in Canadian history, great. Who cares? Fantastic. Live it up. But I don't know that we need to have a fistfight over the fact that she was better than Donovan Bailey or Donovan Bailey was better than Mike Weir or Mike Weir was better than Ben Johnson or on and on.
4: Yeah, I don't, I don't, uh, I mean, you can categorize them, but I think to grasp it and 15 minutes after... It happens. Make that declaration is a fool's game. Like, let's just look at it through a lens a year from now. Um, You know, Brooke Henderson had female athlete or athlete of the year wrapped up until Saturday at 7 o'clock. And why
0: is that? Now, because because Andrescu won now. Well, yeah, but, she, but she
4: also did something no other Canadian ever done. I agree. Done. I agree. So it, it, it's a big stage, and it's a huge accomplishment. But I'm saying Agreed. just wait 15 minutes. I mean, give it some time. And, and a year from now, if you sit down and have a couple of beers and write down the 10 individual greatest, and there is a difference between team and individual yep. accomplishments, Ben Johnson um, doesn't still have his gold medal because he got caught.
0: Although pretty much they were everybody all they were pretty much everybody in that race was playing on a level field, we know they, now.
4: They were all juiced now. Right? Yep. So he just was the fastest of the juiced guys. So I really think you have to relax. Everything doesn't but that's what social
0: media does now to the world. But if Brooke it's Henderson if Brooke Henderson had won the Canadian Open now and Andrescu had won this back in February or March, we'd probably be arguing Brooke Henderson was possibly the female athlete year. It's what you remember immediately. It's what if we That's were to hold, I'm saying take time. If we were to hold the Raptors championship parade today instead of 2 days after the championship, there's not 2 million people there. I guarantee it. No. Not, no. It's because it's immediate and we're no. all caught up in that moment. Here's
4: here's the beauty part and I shared something on Facebook which I have a tendency to do. Um Somebody's apologizing for winning the NBA championship and what was it? Oh, and Bianca's, so just send the Stanley Cup back. Yeah. Which is which is kind of fun, uh, undamaged. Just give us the Stanley Cup yeah, back. Yeah, we have,
0: we have the NBA championship and the U.S. Open title. We'll so, trade it.
4: So I think I think what makes people want to say this is the greatest thing since sliced bread, this is the biggest thing ever, two things I think to look at. We have one NBA team in Canada, so by the Raptor, by virtue of the Raptors being NBA champions, we beat all of the United States at their game. Although with all all American players, that's right. So, but we forget about that with all American (laughs) players. So we kind of beat them at their own game. Well, a couple Senegalese And, and, and and Bianca goes down there in New York City, the city that's so big they had to name it twice and wins against their goddess of tennis, their most successful ever female American tennis player, and jams it up their butt in New York City for the U.S. Open. I think that's kind of what the difference is here versus a Canadian, Brooke Henderson, winning the uh, Canadian Open for women. Oh, it's definitely
0: a much bigger Achievement because than Brooke we get Anderson. to jam it up their butt. Well, it's also it's a bigger event and yeah. it's all that stuff. But I, all I'm saying is, had Brooke Anderson, had you flipped the dates of this, Brooke Henderson is probably much more in the discussion. Brooke Henderson's been forgotten about now because this happened now. Well, let's 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 roll the clock
4: back and uh, take a look at um, Bianca won in essence the Canadian Open, Rogers Cup. She won that. There was no overwhelming groundswell to say she will be Athlete of the Year by virtue of winning the Canadian Championship, right? Brooke Henderson and she and Brooke Henderson were still in the same conversation after.
0: Well, that's because Serena pulled out with an injury. If she had beaten Serena Williams in that, beaten her and like beaten her with a whole match, I think you may have had a different conversation. You can't, the reason there wasn't much of an argument back then is because Serena Williams only played four or five games and then had to retire.
4: Well, she was getting beat pretty badly too. Well, that's. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. Right. And I mean, I, In I some always. Some
4: circles you call a pull, that pulling the chute.
0: All, all, I always go back. I always she think. couldn't of that, do it again. I always think of that race at Skydome between Michael Johnson <laughs> and Donovan Bailey. Yep. And I was writing for a different paper at the time, and I had written a column that never made it into the paper. Don't know why they didn't run it. That said, one of these two guys is not finishing this race. Wrote it a day or two before. One of these two guys is not finishing the race because there's way too much on the line for sponsorships and endorsements and everything else to lose. Someone is pulling up with an injury. It was the only time I think I ever made a good proper prediction and then we saw what happened. I don't know if that's what happened to Serena Williams in Toronto. I do either. But uh, here's the other one. She's a great athlete though. She She is a wonderful athlete. She's one of the greatest athletes, one of the greatest female athletes certainly of all time. Yeah. And you can argue as, you know, I don't believe you can argue men against women. That's a different physiological thing. So you don't say, but well, she's, but. She, or in Gretzky, it doesn't matter. No, but in her, in in the competition that she has faced, that's all she's allowed to face is the competition that she faces. She is one of the most successful athletes of all time, period. Period. Be, and, and someone asked the question, did Bianca beating her make it different, make it bigger? Absolutely it did. If Bianca Andreescu had won the U.S. Open against Shirley Schmarcola, who we'd never heard of before, who was who had gone on a miracle run and been the two hundred ranked, two hundredth ranked player, it still would have been a big thing, but it wouldn't have been close to this. You have to beat the best player. The reason Buster Douglas is known as a boxer is not because he beat bobby smith in some gym in baltimore it's because he beat mike tyson who was undefeated at the time and the biggest favorite in boxing history so you gotta beat the gotta be the best the best or the biggest name or you know the the person who and nothing's coming to mind but the person who's been in the final grouping with tiger woods and won you remember that one although i just didn't uh but you remember that I one i can't remember that happening but It must have. I'm sure it did, but you remember that one more than the the tournament where Tiger Woods was not there.
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: So in all the talk about Bianca Andrescu, and it's all been wonderful and great Canadian event and all the rest, I've heard nobody not happy that she won. I do have a question for you because (laughs) on Sunday, Rafael Nadal Medvedev, and he was able to win his 19th, 18th. He's now only one behind Federer, which you never think of. You think of Federer as the guy who's won so many more than everyone else, but Nadal's right there. Uh, Nadal went four, uh, five sets, four hours and 55 minutes, something like that. It was an absolute grind of a match. Bianca Andreescu uh, had Williams kept her comeback going in the second set, would have gone to a third round. Different amount of work being done, men and women champion both got the same amount of money, should they? Absolutely. Even though one has to play five sets and one has to play three, one has to work three more hours than the other one to earn his check, two and a half more hours.
4: I guess the comparison, which, which I can't make, but so I have to make one up, is if the Canadian opens only three rounds for women and four for men, is it any less um, significant? Um, I think it's all about money, again. And if the if the female one draws as much as the other one, and the viewership's there, although it wouldn't be on as long, but if they're kind of close, then yeah, it should be. I it, do, it doesn't bother me that it's the same amount of money.
0: See, what I don't understand... It the men's up. Well, what I don't understand is why that doesn't happen. And I understand why the money has been leveled, and I think there is very popular support for that across the board. Everybody says, yeah, men's and women should get the same amount of money. My question is then why have we not decided that, I mean, look, I, I'm not going to sit here and argue women are not equal. I'm married, if, I'm married to one i got to go home to one, so I'm going to be careful. But women, if women are equal, which I agree with, why would they not play five sets in the final then or in the, in the major tournament period? Why would women's tennis not have five sets? Or why would you not reduce the men to three, best of three as opposed to best of five? I just I, I don't understand why that gap has, has persisted when you've said everything else is going to be equal about the things we do in tennis. So I'm fine with having the same prize money. It well, just doesn't make sense that the, the road to get there is not the same.
4: So, but then, and, and I don't know the lengths, so I'm going to do something I'm good. I'm going to talk about something I'm not 100% sure, but you'll understand the theory. Why is the men's Canadian open 7,900 yards and the women's 6,100 yards? Is that unfair?
0: I think that, what you mean in in golf? uh, The length, the length. I'm sorry. I'm
4: sorry. In golf. Yeah. uh, The the, the length, uh, par fives are sometimes 570 yards in men's and sometimes they're 460 in women's what's the uh, i mean i mean there's there are differences between men and women so and i don't know cuz i'm tennis canada haven't asked me to l- take a look at it but i will if they ask to try and determine why the men play more sets than the women i don't know
0: i believe and i'm willing to be proven wrong if someone has a different answer for this but i believe that once upon a time women played three sets because of the sense that the feeling that they were not as capable of playing five grueling sets as the men. I don't believe that to be the case today. They're in such great shape that yeah. Bianca Andreescu could have gone five sets if she had to. Absolutely, she could have gone five sets if she had to. Well, the game before, I meant to mention this earlier, the
4: game before the commentator, oh, she's looking really tired. She's looking really tired. I'm going, She's 19, Was she tired from. She wasn't tired. They were just trying to.
0: Well, I, she she looked, I don't know if it was tired or mentally she was Trying to find her mojo and was looking a little slump. You know, she's a little slumped over because things weren't going so. Twenty thousand well. people there didn't want her to win. I, I agree. I agree. And so you know what? You can look tired m- mentally, but you I don't. Can, I don't think she was physically tired. I, I think don't she think could she have was gone tired. All, I think she was probably pissed. Well, she could have played all night if they made her. Yeah, But like uh, she
4: could have went. So if 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 they have to, like if the
0: women's had to go more sets, advantage, uh, Bianca. And here's the thing: is that most tennis tournaments that are played during the year in the men's side are not five sets. You go to most of them and they're best of three. It's only in the majors they go to five, I believe. I think it's only the majors. There might be one or two out there that are not majors that do it, but I think only the majors do the five sets for men. In the final? No, no, in general. So why not just make it five sets for men and five sets for women or three sets for men and three sets for women? I I don't understand the difference. What's the difference? Because the difference... You can't make it four. Well, no, you can't, but the difference... Essentially, says or makes the statement that women can't do what men can do within the, within the definition of the rules, within the what you're playing. It's saying men are more capable of something bigger than women are, and I I, I don't believe that that's the case. Well, in for tennis. clarity purposes, I don't agree with that. But I don't believe I, I don't think anybody does. Only
4: because I'm scared
0: no, I, to say anything else. But it it would be similar to saying, you know what, the men's hundred meters in the Olympics. We're gonna. The men are gonna keep going with the hundred meters. Women are only gonna do seventy. That's the same
4: analogy I used in golf. Yeah. Why, why
0: are the holes longer? The different. The only difference with golf, maybe, that I would give, and I don't. It's probably not a good answer. Is that with golf, it's not the same physically demanding thing. It, it, I mean, there, golf does have its its challenges physically. Oh. You have to walk the course, and it's not like you're not riding a cart. There's a reason you're not riding a cart. I got gotcha. you. But it's not. Well, but quite it,
4: but, it, but it is. I mean, it's clearly in, in my mind. It's about physicality.
0: Well, men are physically able to hit the ball further. Well, they're bigger. Yes. Physiologically, like, it's different.
4: It's uh, men and women aren't the same. Thank God.
0: Women are smarter
4: than men. Let's be clear on that. But they, you know, you you take a look at at uh, how far they hit the ball. It's not the same. Now, I don't think, and I agree with you. I think. Probably the reason that the men men play five and the women play three is is more historical. Oh, it goes way back. Than anything else.
0: And I don't... But wouldn't you love to see... we got to go. But there have been some of the all-time great matches in men's tennis have been the ones that are the absolute marathons. And let's make no mistake, when you get into a five-hour, five-and-a-half-hour match, physically it is unbelievably taxing. And some of those matches are the ones that we remember, Borg and McEnroe, and even even this one we just had with Nadal and Medvedev. I mean, it was a remarkable, long, grueling marathon of a match. Wouldn't we like to see the same thing on the women's side? Let's see who can I think keep they, going.
4: I think they can be the same, and that was determined when uh, Billie Jean King beat Bobby Riggs. So Billie Jean King? Yeah, uh, th-
0: that I would, <laughs> we don't have time to get into that one. You dropped that bomb on me with no time to respond. Um, I, I, I'm not sure, despite the fact that uh, Hollywood and some people have made a big deal about that, I'm not sure how much should be read into the Bobby Riggs, Billie Jean King. You had a the best tennis player in the world at her prime versus a 60-year-old guy who was well past whatever prime he had. Uh, I'm I'm always a little skeptical about that story. It's a beautiful story and all the rest. I just you know It had a lot more to do with his big daddy coat and marketing and let let's let's have seen if we had Billie Jean King playing against Bjorn Borg at that time, that would have been a story if she'd beaten Borg or McEnroe, and it was even before then.
1: The Scott Radley Show weekday evenings from six to eight on nine hundred CHML.